Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it, we back it. So we talked about what burnout is and its impact. Our next guest, Greg McKeown, is a two-time New York Times best-selling author who has worked with some of the biggest brands in the world, including the likes of Google, Facebook, Pixar, Twitter and Yahoo. Greg, you're welcome to Reignite. Listeners might remember your last book, Essentialism, which boiled down to one word, prioritisation. Now you're back with Effortless. Sum this one up for me in a single word, if you can. One word, it's simplification. Okay, and define it for me in this moment after a complex 18 months. Well, I think that there's two kinds of people in the world right now. There are people who are burned out and then there are people who know they are burned out. You know, if you can get yourself into the second category, if you could admit that the effect of the last few months may may not have all been positive, uh, then you can chart a different course for yourself where, where not everything has to be so hard where not everything has to be so complicated. And I really think there are three things that people can do. One is to rediscover their effortless state. The second is to find effortless action in their life instead of straining and forcing things. And the third is to figure out systems that make results uh, more effortless to achieve so that results start to flow to them instead of only when they are pushing the boulder up the hill, so to speak. How many of us do you think, maybe percentage-wise, know we're burned out, that we're, you know, fried? (laughs) I I think that there is an awakening happening of sorts. I I work with companies around the world, and whereas in pre-pandemic, the kinds of themes that I'm talking about were good or nice to have, uh, they certainly have made it now onto the top five of almost every CEO I work with, and maybe even top three now. So they see it as absolutely vital. So there is a change. The fact that people are talking about it at all is a change. Uh, And so maybe pre-pandemic, I would have estimated that perhaps 20% of the workforce was what I would describe as highly engaged, but on the edge of exhaustion. I I certainly think the number is now, uh, you know, far higher than that. For you personally, like, did you have a wake up moment where you realise, God, if I don't take control, if I don't start setting a priority and starting to rank the priorities well other people will back at the very beginning of this journey when i was writing essentialism before even that happened i received an email from my manager at the time that said that friday between one and two would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby because i needed to be at this client meeting and you know sure enough friday we were in the hospital and our daughter had just been born and all was well Uh, well, as well as one is after having gone through the valley of the shadow of death the night before. But I felt torn, you know, I felt Mm. pulled. I've got to do it all. My my laptop is open, my phone is on, I'm, I'm distracted by all of these things. And so to my shame, I went to the meeting. And even afterwards, I remember my manager saying, well, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. And the look on their faces didn't evince that sort of respect. But even if they did, it was clear I'd made a fool's bargain. Uh, And what I learned from the lesson was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And that sort of uh, led to me doing research and eventually writing essentialism. But the plot thickens where uh, essentialism itself just changed everything. And I remember going to an event where 300 people were lined up around the building. They ran out of books. They'd never done that before. And it was just a totally different kind of life. 
I was being more selective than I'd ever been. I was trying to prioritize more than I ever had. And still by this point, in addition to being, you know, father of essentialism or whatever, I was now the father of four children. So the responsibilities had increased too. And I, I found myself for the first time in my life saying, <laughs> what if you have real responsibilities? They are all essential. You can be as selective as you like, but now you've got a question of, well, do I just put the big rocks down? Do I give up on my health? Do I give up on my relationship with my wife, with my children? You know, the, these things suddenly aren't, uh, aren't tenable. And that's what really drove me to write and research effortless, because in the midst of already feeling that strain, I then had one of my daughters suddenly become incredibly sick uh, with an inexplicable and what turned out to be neurological disease. And suddenly I, I said, well, you've got to find a different way of doing this. The essential things are clear, but you've got to find an easier way to do them, less burdened, less complicated, so that you can still do the things that matter most, but do them without burning out. There's always going to be multiple priorities, but it's being comfortable every day and saying to yourself and answering the question, what is the most important thing I'm going to do today? Yes, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. One thing, the priorist thing. And it stayed singular for the next 500 years, according to Peter Drucker. And so it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that somebody decided to pluralize the term and start speaking of priorities. And yet, haven't each of us been to a meeting where somebody said with no sense of irony at all, here are my 34 priorities. When do they all have to be done yesterday? And so to come back to the idea of single priority in this way, to ask every day, and even, even not just once a day, but as we go through the day, what's important now? And that's a nice acronym, WIN, you know, to win. What's important now? And so to not spend so much time worrying about what happened yesterday or stressing about what could happen, you know, later today or tomorrow and so on, but just to be in this moment, to be present, to be here, is one way to, to really simplify our, our life's experience uh, because then we just have to take on this next moment. Psychologists have found that, that what we call now is no longer in the realm of philosophy. You can measure it. It's between two and three seconds long. And so in a sense, when we ask the question, what's important now, we just have to be able to cope with and deal well with this moment right now and what we're going to do next with it. To me, that's a great simplification in life. So talk to me a little bit about this effortless stage, step one, but particularly inverting the question that we have in our heads. Many overachievers have a question in their heads they don't even know is there, and it's basically, uh, how can I work harder to get better results? It is a perfectly sensible question if you're not working hard at all. If you're not putting in effort, ask that question, you can improve your results immensely. But for many overachievers, they just think that's always the answer. And they're already the edge of exhaustion. They've already run out of space, but they keep pushing with that same basic question. I coached somebody one time, a manager in a university uh, who's the kind of person who's way past the limit. Uh, she's up till 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, photoshopping for a youth group at church the next day. No one's asking her to do that. She's overcomplicating it, overengineering it, overexerting, uh, and all for good motives, but it doesn't produce great results for her. Uh, and so instead I said, well, invert, invert the question. Next time you're asked to do something, pause and ask one different question. How can this be effortless? 
how can I simplify this and still get the result that I want? And so the next day she gets a call from a university professor says, oh, I'd like you to record my class for the semester. Uh, well, she just jumps into gear. She knows how to do this as a perfectionist. I'm going to do everything. We'll have multiple camera people there. So we'll have multiple angles. We'll edit it all together, add music, intros, outros, graphics, the whole thing. We're going to wow him. And she remembers the coaching. So she says, well, how can we make this effortless? Is there a simpler solution? It turns out it's for one student who's going to miss a few classes because of an athletic commitment. And the solution they come up with together is that someone will just record it on their phone and send whatever classes he misses directly to him. The professor's delighted. The call in totality is a 10 minute long call. And she hangs up and says, what just happened? I saved four months of time for an entire team because we asked a different question. And as part of this whole effortless state, you talk about rest (laughs) and the art of doing nothing, something I'm terrible at. Would you recommend there? (laughs) Well, you know, for, for overachievers, you know, overachievers are more comfortable with being given a huge stretch goal. So, you know, if I go to an overachiever and I say, okay, I'm going to challenge you to get ready for a marathon in, you know, 60 days and then go do it and They know how to do that, or at least they know intellectually what steps they might take to go about it. But if I say to the same person, okay, here, I'll give you something really hard to do. Go take a nap today. Let's say it this way. There's a level of incompetence at rest within many overachievers. And I think that's a good way to think about it, that rest is a responsibility, that rest is its own competence. It doesn't mean that achievement doesn't matter. It just means that you start to honor the ways to achieve sustainably over time. And to do that, you need to have a rhythm of rest. And then of course, pushing yourself and challenging yourself, both have a place. And so one of the things I would recommend for people is to have a done for the day list. So instead of having an endless to-do list, which literally gets longer by the end of the day than it is at the beginning, you have a list and you say, when I'm done for this, I'm going to move into a different period of my day. I'm going to move into a rest period. So that's one practical thing you do. You can do with rest. The second is you have to actually write a list, start developing a list of things I can do that do recuperate me, rest me, help me to be able to be at my best and in an effortless state and can perform at my best. That list At first, you might not even have one thing on the list. You don't know the answer. What relaxes me? But as you start paying attention, you go from level zero competency to one to two and three, and you can become good and effective at rest. And the top performers in really almost any industry, if they're becoming successful at success, part of their equation is that they protect the asset that they aren't just pushing themselves beyond the limit. So that would be, I see a final rule for people with rest is don't continually use more energy up today than you can recuperate from today. Don't use more energy and resources this week than you can replenish this week. Uh, That way you can sustain peak performance over the long run. I think it's really great advice, yeah, that done for the day list. I know you're big on the idea of have a done for the day time as well to match that list. Yes, I am. I started that because I was inspired by somebody else who actually read Essentialism and they were doing it better than me, which is not that hard to imagine. But they had decided, okay, at 5.25, and this was pre-pandemic, 
they would literally pack up in any meeting they were in. Everyone understood he did this so that he could be in his car at 5.30, home at six o'clock to be with his family. And I was really inspired when I heard that. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought, well, if I don't set a boundary, there won't be any. That's what the pandemic did for us as we suddenly started, not as we all have said, to work from home, but to live at work. It's like all boundaries are gone. Yeah. And so what does that look like? Zoom, eat, sleep, repeat life. You look at your Fitbit, it says 300 steps at the end of the day. You can't even tell what day it is. So I chose 5 p.m. was my time. And to keep myself accountable, I would walk out of my office when I was done and I would yell like a town crier <laughs> what time it was. 5.01 or whatever time I managed to do it so that it was just a bit of fun. But it helped me to have a reason to stop yeah. and to be able to maintain this, you know, a sustainable pace. And a bit of accountability under effortless action, can you speak to just define? Because I think people are good at starting. They'll have an idea. They'll they'll figure out the concrete steps to get going. But often we just don't think about what it feels like, looks like to actually finish, to actually say that something is done. Yes, that single question is one of the, the simplest immediate questions somebody can ask on the next project they take on to streamline it. What does done look like? If you take even 60 seconds to just almost close your eyes and focus on the desired outcome, it instantly gives instruction to your brain of what it's steering towards, what it ought to do and what it ought not to do to get there. It also protects you against mission creep, which we all know about, where we just keep on adding bells and whistles and all sorts of additional things and you keep going until the thing itself becomes a sort of monstrosity uh, and sometimes never gets done at all. If you just take 60 seconds, what does done look like? Oh, it just removes enormous amounts of, of unnecessary complexity. Greg, thank you so much for joining us here on Reignite. We really appreciate it. And yeah, it's been a delight. Thank you.